The Daily Tap is live with the post-game reactions to the Green Bay Packers. We're going to talk about it all. We're going to go through what an awful loss this was for the Green Bay Packers. We'll probably not do any sort of overreacting. We're going to at least try hard not to. And we're going to introduce star ratings to the podcast people. We will then talk about the Milwaukee Brewers. Not all was bad in the state of Wisconsin over the weekend. Corbin Burns pitched a no-hitter. They absolutely dominated Cleveland. We'll talk about what an awesome weekend it was for the Brew Crew. And then lastly, we'll talk about how the Badgers got back on track and the bad weekend for the Big Ten with the Ohio State loss. And basically, we are all the SEC now. I will explain that at the tail end of this show, but we first have to start with the Green Bay Packers. You couldn't ignore what the Green Bay Packers did. They laid an absolute egg. They took a big stinky shit right in the middle of the field today. It was one of the worst Packer games I have watched in recent memory. I can't think of a Packer game of late that I was that disgusted by. The NFC Championship game against San Francisco was way up there. The San Francisco game on primetime is also one that comes to mind. The Chargers game is another one. Um, Those were games where I just felt like the Packers weren't prepared. They weren't ready to go. To me, this one is more infuriating than any in the LaFleur era because it seemed like Green Bay was just going through the motions. It seemed like a preseason game out there for the Green Bay Packers. And a lot of questions are arise from that you know Matt LaFleur said after a game it makes you question everything and it's absolutely spot on because I don't know what the Packers were doing out there I have no idea what sort of vibe I guess you were going for Aaron Rodgers talked all about the vibes this offseason talked about how everything was all good and it did not look all good this team looked as disconnected as they've been in the three years of Matt LaFleur coaching them, which is really weird, right? It's really unexpected. I think none of us saw this coming, and that is, I think, the shock of it all. I think that if the Packers were to lose this game and it was a back-and-forth battle between Jameis and Aaron Rodgers and Packers lose like 24-21, I think you say, oh, there's some good things to take away. But at the end of the day, it just came down to the Saints having the ball last. Something cliche like that. But this was an absolute ass-kicking. Now, there will be people who rethink their stance on the Green Bay Packers. I think that is the wrong way to go about it. Um, It's simply put as the Green Bay Packers weren't ready to play. And they were too full of themselves, and they got their asses handed to them. And they deserved it. And I hope that it is a giant wake-up call for this team. It should be. And they're going to have to figure out some things going forward. The number one thing that they're going to have to figure out is how they approach the preseason. Now, the Sean McVay tree, so Shanahan, McVay, Zach Taylor, I think. I don't know. I didn't keep track of Bengals preseason. Um, A lot of those guys, the Chargers, they rest their guys for the preseason. That's kind of their philosophy. They don't think preseason matters that much. Aaron Rodgers shrugged it off and said preseason had nothing to do with this. Adrian Amos also said preseason had nothing to do with this. While I do believe that in some theory, Resting 30 guys a game was probably the wrong move. Could you hold Aaron Rodgers out for all those? Maybe. Did you maybe need to meet with Aaron Rodgers and say, hey, look, dude, you haven't been here all offseason. How the hell do we know you have this connective fiber with all these guys? Maybe go out there for a couple snaps. We'll throw you out there. We won't get you hurt. We'll make sure that you're well protected. 
Don't feel like you have to force anything and just make sure you feel good. Make sure that sort of connection is there because it wasn't. And also too, with the preseason, I think you need to evaluate who you're playing in the first game. If the Packers were playing the Los Angeles Rams in game one, let's just say that the Rams are on their schedule. Let's say the schedule makers did Packers, Rams, week one and Lambeau. That to me would have been less of a impetus of like, hey, you need to play your guys in the preseason. But knowing that A, Sean Payton plays his guys in the preseason, B, um, you also have the fact that it was a quarterback competition between the two guys, Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill, they, their starters were playing a lot of preseason. They were ready to go, and part of that was preseason. You cannot tell me otherwise. I understand that the players are saying otherwise. Matt LaFleur did not really say that, by the way, though. Matt LaFleur is like, it makes you question everything. So Matt LaFleur, I'm sure, is going to go back and say to himself, did I do the right thing here by resting everybody? Probably not. I probably need to reassess how I do that and need to balance it out and also need to look at what my week one opponent is doing. Because I do think that matters. And I think that's why the Saints were able to smack the Packers in the mouth. Also, too, that hot climate and people can dismiss that. But the Saints had played in that all summer. And so the Saints were ready to go. They That didn't bother them. Now, it was hot in Green Bay. But as Aaron Andrews said on the sidelines, like it's a little different. Like, the Florida humidity is a real thing. Again, the Packers just were not ready to play. And this has happened now a few times in the LaFleur era. I referred to a couple of them. The Chargers, the San Francisco game. He has to figure that out. We're now past, like, it's a, he's a young coach. He kind of still is, but we're, he's done too much good for people to be like, all right, he still gets that pass. Like, Matt LaFleur has to be better with the preparation, getting these guys ready versus, all right, these, this is what we're going to do against the Saints defense. Because I think LaFleur is so focused on that and not focused on the other part of like the mental part of it and getting everybody on the same page and fired up for this. They thought they were gonna steamroll the Saints because Drew Brees wasn't there. And again, they got popped right in the fucking mouth. And it was not a good debut for Joe Barry. And all the worries you had about Joe Barry and how he had an awful defense throughout his time as a defensive coordinator kind of came to roost. Now, I said on the podcast last week, and I still stick to it, that you don't know what kind of teams you're facing really for seven weeks because there's a lot of unknowns. So we can't immediately say Joe Barry's defense is a disaster. I think if four games, the Packers are giving up 30 points a game, then we can probably raise some real questions about Joe Barry's defense and say, what are we doing here? And why hasn't anything changed? Now, Green Bay had a very Ted-like offseason with this defense. They brought back Kevin King. They added Devondre Campbell. But not a ton has changed. This isn't a new-look Packer defense. This is the same Packers with just a couple different parts. And I don't know if that it was the right move. I, I get it's week one, but Kevin King looked completely lost out there. It was embarrassing to watch Kevin King play football on Sunday because he was not ready to play. He got burned so many different times. 
if Kevin King's starting in week two, it's a malpractice. It's an absolute coaching malpractice by Barry, by LaFleur. Kevin King cannot be starting. Play Eric Stokes. I do not give a fuck. Let Eric Stokes make his mistakes. I'd rather watch Eric Stokes struggle out there. If he struggles, he might not. He, he, you never know. He's a rookie. It's unpredictable. But if he struggles out there, I'd rather say, well, Eric Stokes is a rookie and he's going to learn and this is a trial by fire. Let him fucking learn, okay? Kevin King cannot be trusted and it needs to just be over. The Kevin King experience needs to end. I, I would say cut him. I, I don't think that you, you can bring Kevin King back. And I don't think slot corners the right move. Chandon Sullivan was a sneaky kind of bad player last year. And Chandon Sullivan did not look like a sneaky good player. Now, Shamar Jean St. Charles, or it's, it's just Charles. I, I always want to say St. Charles. I don't know why. Shamar Jean Charles is a slot corner. He potentially could fill in. Now, he was inactive this week. I think you need to take a long look at him this week. Like, I don't think anybody's job really should be safe after last after this week. I'm dead serious. Like, I think the premier guys like Rodgers, Adams, now some of the hot take artists will say, well, Jordan Love looked great. Like, I get it, guys, but settle down. But if you do not have a solidified spot on this team, your job should be up for it. You should be competing for your job. There should be no free rides here. This should not be a quick and easy thing. Because guess what? If you come out like this against Detroit, even though Detroit's one of the worst teams in football, they're going to beat your ass. Dan Campbell has his guys believing. And they, to me, are a scarier team in September than they are in October or November. That's a little preview when we go into Lions Week as the week goes on. But the fact is, is like you cannot just let these guys get away with playing so poorly on Sunday. I'm not saying like punish them, but I'm definitely saying, look, other guys deserve a look. Royce Newman, he played all right, but yeah, you should look at other guards. Lucas Patrick, same shit. Right tackle, yes. Take a look at Billy Turner's. Maybe there's another option there. On defense, Kevin King, we already went over that linebackers, edge rushers, you know, Jack Heflin, who is another inactive rookie today. Like he should get a look. Like everybody should be, no one should be safe. And that should be the attitude here, that they are playing for their lives on Monday night. And if they do not come out with a passion, there will be full scale changes. And the Packers better look like the fucking Packers and not look like a team that is ready to tank. And that's what the Packers looked like here today. And it was as pathetic as you're going to see a football team. And it's really disappointing as a fan because I think there were so many people that were out on this season or that were kind of just, eh, I'm, I'm just sort of meh about it. It leaves you cold, right? It's like very boring, rudimentary dinner. Like it's like just like you're just having a chicken breast lightly seasoned. That's it. Like that's how I think some people approach this Packer season. And credit for me for not making a sex reference there. I just wanted on the record. I was fully prepared to do a sex reference and I didn't. So I just want you guys to understand that I'm growing. You get married, you start growing up a little bit. That's what they tell you. Anyways, <laughs> after the Bucks had won the championship, the Brewers are going to be a world, they have the second best odds to win the World Series. I think people are just like, you know what? Why do I care? Like, why do I have to put all my effort and energy into this team 
when I have an amazing baseball team, I have an awesome basketball team that's going to be back in six weeks. I think we, Mitch and I might have talked about this last week where I, I said, like, look, if you're out on the season, like, that's okay. Like, you have six weeks of Brewers baseball, and then you go right into Buck season. So you could, if you wanted to, completely ignore this Packer season. If the Rogers stuff rubs you the wrong way, you could be like, all right, whatever. If I watch it, great. If I don't, maybe I can get a bunch of stuff done because everybody's watching the game, and maybe I just go another route. I don't feel that way. I, I I love football. People always ask me, what's your favorite sport? And I say, I, I watch really everything but tennis. Like football still matters to me. I think because I've played for 10 years, it's always going to hold a special place in my heart. So for me to just say, I don't give a shit about this season, I, I just can't do it. I can't just like lay my guns down and say, all right, I'm not going to care. Now, the Packers like have just a year from hell and they're six or seven win team. Maybe by the end of the year, I'm more apathetic about it. I, I remember 2018, we went to the game after McCarthy got fired. And while it was awesome to watch Packers win, it was just kind of like, eh, I guess. Cool. Like, but it wasn't, you didn't feel great about it. You didn't feel like you're like, oh my God, like we're going to make a crazy run and get ourselves back into the playoffs. We were just like, all right, cool. Guess we're, guess this is it. Like, guess what this is like cheering for a losing team, which we hadn't really felt since kind of like that 2000, 2006 McCarthy year and in a non like Rogers is hurt kind of year. So it was really weird and really strange, but that's that's probably when the apathy sets in and it would be nice this year is the Bucks are right there for you. So I do think that this hurts that sort of apathetic fan feeling though, because everybody's gonna watch this and be like, well, they don't really care. Why should I care? Like my father-in-law texted me, go Chiefs. He's a Chiefs fan. He's been a Chiefs fan for a long time. And I haven't texted him back yet, but I wanna ask him like, all right, are you out on the season? Like, should we just not include you with the Packers this year? Because that's kind of how I think it is. And and I, I, I get it. I, I really do. Like, I can't disagree with it by anyone. If people are like, I just am out on this season, like, okay. Like, that's, that's not going to bother me in a lot of ways. And I think that's going to be a huge talking topic as we get into the week. Switching gears here, this is an absolute nightmare for Aaron Rodgers. This could not have gone worse for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is going to be the headline of week one. He is going to get absolutely killed by the media. Doesn't matter. It's, you know, the Bill Simmons, Ryan Rossillo is part of my take. First take, like all, everyone, Colin Coward, like everybody is going to come out of the woodwork against Aaron Rodgers and say he looked like he didn't care. He looked like he didn't prepare. This was a very weird Aaron Rodgers. I will agree to those who said this was like a 2018 Aaron Rodgers performance, 100 fucking percent. Aaron Rodgers did not look like the Rodgers we saw last year. He looked like the guy who kind of didn't give a shit about the season back in 2018. Now, Aaron Rodgers has a lot of time to convince us otherwise. This is one game out of 17. We have a long way to go here. It's not just, it's not a one and done, and this is what the Packers are. They could go and look extremely crisp against the Lions and then extremely crisp against San Francisco. But the problem with this loss is it doesn't leave a lot of room for error because after the Lions, you get San Francisco and Pittsburgh. Those are hard opponents. Pittsburgh's defense is legit. I don't know what the Niners' defense is. They gave up 33 points to the Lions. 
It could be a shootout uh, between the two teams. And again, you could point to, well, the 49ers didn't do a lot of preseason work. So maybe there's something to that. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is like, they do not have a ton of room for air. Green Bay could be one and three. I don't think they will. I think it's more realistic they're two and two or they're three and one. And this is a blip on the radar. Who knows, right? This could be just the start of something else. A new chapter, if you will, to say, all right, this is dead and buried. We have to kind of pull our heads out of there, our asses and come together. And if you buy into what Devontae Adams said about this being the hungriest team that he's been a part of, you will believe that this is kind of a outlier versus a theme of the season. I don't think week one can always define a season. Sometimes it can. I mean, Aaron Rodgers in... 2020 lit up the Minnesota Vikings and that was the theme of the season the old Aaron Rodgers is back and it was that way the entire year he came out guns a blazing he came out with that chip on his shoulder that fuck you mentality and it was like that for the entire year now 2019 the Packers scored 10 points they had a great defensive game everybody thought this defense was going to be great in 2019 with all their new additions they ended up being kind of average and being a typical Packer defense and the offense started to figure themselves out as the year went on Matt LaFleur and Rodgers getting comfortable with each other and so it it did not define the season so I'm not ready to just immediately throw myself at the mercy of the the hot take artists and be like this season's fucked the Packers are going to win only six games. They should think about trading Aaron Rodgers. That take will be out there tomorrow, by the way. Just so everyone's clear. The take of should the Packers trade Aaron Rodgers before the season is over will be in there. There will be conversations about trading Aaron Rodgers tomorrow on First Take. Colin Coward Show, First Things First. That will be a conversation. And I will tell you absolutely not. The only way that I may entertain that conversation is if the Packers are 2-4 and four and it really looks like Rodgers is just disconnected from the team. And if he looks like an NBA star who doesn't want to be there, shout out to Eric Bledsoe, then yeah, maybe you do think about trading Aaron Rodgers if you can get the same value as you can at the end of the season. I have no idea. I think you could. I think that a team, let's just hypothetically throw out the Broncos since people have talked about it. And the Broncos are four and two, or they're five and one, and then it's like, well, do you just make the move? And then the Broncos all of a sudden vault themselves to the Super Bowl contender, and then the Packers start a new era with Jordan Love earlier than expected. I personally would like to wait till the end of the season to entertain that discussion, but you just never know. You just never know how the season might end up and how the season might turn. I'm not, I'm not going, I don't think it's, we're going to be two and four. I think it's more likely we're four and two or five and one. So I'm not ready to, to, to really have that whole, like, should they trade Aaron Rodgers? But I know that will be part of the discussion tomorrow on first take and on, on all the other shows, because that's just, that's clips, man. That's engagement. It gets the engagement. The engagement bait is hot with something like that. All right, let's do star ratings. We're 20 minutes in. Let's do star ratings. So star ratings is a blog that I've done for a long time. Basically, 
Some might call it a grading of the Packers. I don't watch the film, okay? I don't break down the All-22. This isn't my job. I don't really think that breaking down All-22 suddenly makes you a genius. I understand that watching film opens up some things and gets you some knowledge, but unless someone's paying you to look at All-22, it's just kind of useless. Watching it back is like, okay, maybe I noticed something about the offensive line or I noticed something the wide receivers did here, but it's it's not going to unlock a ton of things. And I I just think it's something to sound cool. Like it's like, oh yeah, I, I watched the all 22. Just like, oh, I have a convertible or something like that. Um, so I like breaking it down just from what I witnessed in the game and how it goes is five stars talk about who played the best and then four stars who played kind of above average, three average, two below average, one at average. And usually it's one or two players, one or two themes. Um, that's kind of how the blog worked. Since we don't get as much blog traffic as we used to, I thought about why not bring it to the podcast. So for me, I'm going to choose one thing for each category. Five stars, no one got significantly hurt. That that will be where I'm at. Like Josiah Daguerre's concussion was a little scary i guess darnell savage also might have got hurt in the at the tail end of the game but still no one had a significant injury in this game and i think we can all celebrate that right like we have to at least try to find some bright spots and the fact nobody got hurt i think is a really encouraging sign for the packers health as a team so we're not going into next week being like okay this team only scored three points and all of their guys all of their guys are hurt, right? That None of that happened. Unfortunately, you know, Jerry Judy got carted off. Uh, Makai Beacon, the left tackle for the New York Jets, also got carted off. And those were significant injuries. And th- that sucks. And that's definitely definitely terrible for those teams. And the Packers didn't have to deal with that. It looked like something might serious have happened to Jace or Josiah, excuse me, wrong tight end. But yes, it is a concussion and those can sometimes take a while, but hopefully Josiah can get out there for San Francisco, if not for Detroit. And whatever's bothering Savage, hopefully it's just a minor tweak and it's not a big deal. But I will say, if there's one position the Packers are kind of deep at, it is the safety position. I like Vernon Scott. I really like Henry Black. I think both are pretty good backup safeties, probably some of the better backup safeties that are in the NFL. Four stars, I'm going to give it to Jordan Love. Like, I thought Jordan Love, you know, he did have the fumble at the end. I thought Jordan Love really kind of looked composed out there. I think I didn't think the moment was too big for Jordan Love in his garbage time. Now, I, I get that the Saints were probably playing pretty vanilla defense. They didn't have a lot of their starters out. But still, I didn't think Jordan Love was nervous at all. I think he was composed. He made some nice throws. You know, he ended up finishing 5 for 7 for 68 yards with a quarterback rating of 102. He unfortunately fumbled near the red zone. He has to work on that. He's going to have to work on his red zone turnovers. That is, that's going to come with time, though. That's a young quarterback thing, right? It's not It's not always going to be perfect. I mean, if you saw the Dolphins-Patriots highlights, look at the throw Tua made. Like, that was one of the worst decisions I could, I've seen from a quarterback all day. And it was awful by Tua. And it was picked off, and, and the Patriots got the ball back. And now they ended up not winning. But still, you're just going to have more mistakes with young quarterbacks. So Love will learn that. He'll learn pocket awareness. I'm not entirely concerned about the turnovers, but I thought he looked really good. And I think 
there will be people who have some discussion about Jordan Love this week to say this guy might be ready to go next year and it's you're starting to kind of get that feeling a little bit and I don't hate it and I, I also don't hate the Packers showcasing Love if they think Rodgers is their guy until he retires and they want to offer up Love as a potential trade piece I think getting him in these games only helps things because the value of a quarterback in the trade market, unless they're a superstar like Rodgers or Deshaun Watson, um, it, it's never been lower. You, you aren't really seeing the Matt Schaub deals anymore. Where Remember, Matt Schaub was a backup quarterback for Atlanta. He was pretty good in his, in his backup role for Michael Vick, and he got traded for a first rounder to Houston. And so I just don't think that would happen with Jordan Love. I think Jordan Love's value would be second or third rounder. But who knows? Maybe... Maybe some team forward thinking would look at it and say, all right, we're going to bring in Jordan Love and because we need to kind of get a quarterback. Maybe a Washington, right? A fo- the football team could look at it and say, all right, we need to make a run and we don't have a quarterback of the future. We're going to bring in Jordan Love. I, I think Tyler Heineke is okay. Um, so I'm not, I don't know if they'll, they'll pull that trigger. There's some Cam Newton buzz too. Would you rather have Cam Newton or Jordan Love? I don't think Jordan Love will get traded. I know I've talked about both our quarterbacks getting traded, but I'm just saying this stuff only helps increase his value if that's a direction the Packers are going. Our three star is going to be Corey Barroquez. Now, I butchered his name, Barroquez. I've tried. He is the punter. He had four punts, 176 yards on those punts, 44 average with a 59 long and a touchback. It's bare out there, folks. We will talk a lot about two stars and one stars, but I thought the punt team was pretty good. I didn't didn't groan at any punts, and I know with J.K. Scott, I had a lot of issues with what J.K. Scott was doing. It's a three-star because, you know what, I'm not going to hype the punting up too much. But I, I did like it. And if he becomes a weapon for the Packers, that's great. That really helps out from a field position game when you need it, when you need to pin teams as well. And hopefully your defense can come through for you. Two stars. I'm going to hand out a two star to Adrian Amos. One of the plays of the game for me for was Adrian Amos didn't jump on a fourth down. Where all Adrian Amos has to do is jump at the height of the ball with Jawan Johnson. Now, Juwan Johnson, who I think will be a very popular fantasy pickup, played very well down in the red zone with Jameis. But if Adrian Amos just jumps at that ball, he might break it up. Now, Juwan Johnson is a rookie. He's a young guy. He's not at the level of Adrian Amos, the veteranness that Amos has. Veteranness, I don't think is a word. But Adrian Amos could have at least tried to jar that ball loose. Instead, he tried to hit him in his like kidney area to knock the ball loose and Juwan Johnson's a fucking tank like he's 6'4 240 like that's not gonna work maybe against a skinny receiver like a Deshaun Jackson or like a 2-2 Atwell maybe that's a a moment where you get a guy kind of flipping in the air like Johnson didn't even move after Amos applied the hit Amos has to jump there I thought that was such a critical moment in the game one of the biggest moments in the game was Amos not going up for that ball. Because if he breaks it up, Packers get a get the ball back. Granted, it was an awful field position, but you hold the Saints to no points in the red zone. And that could, that could have been a momentum-changing play. One star, I have to go with Aaron Rodgers. I have more than just one one star. Don't trust me. We'll, we'll definitely hand out some more. But Aaron Rodgers is the biggest one. We talked a lot about Rodgers sort of looking disconnected 
The interception, the two interceptions were as uncharacteristic of plays from Aaron Rodgers as I think I've seen in multiple years. I think Aaron Rodgers trying to force something when it wasn't there is so unlike him. And I don't understand why. Maybe his thoughts in his head of like, how am I going to be perceived after I threw such a fit this offseason and I want to make something happen and I have to do something a little bit different. Maybe that's what Aaron Rodgers did. And so the force happens and it was bad, man. It was one of the, it was an awful throw. I was like, is this someone else's fault? No, this was Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron Rodgers just takes the sack or tries to throw it away, who knows what happens to this game? Packers are down by two scores. They were moving the ball pretty nicely in their first drive. They got they did get quote unquote bailed out by a couple penalties. Now they were the right calls, but at the same time, it, they they helped. They pushed the ball downfield. Now if Rodgers just does his takes his sack and the Packers end up scoring a touchdown there, seventeen ten. It's kind of a new ball game. It's totally they doubled up. They scored ten points at the end of the first half and then at the start of the first quarter or start of the second quarter second half excuse me maybe it's an entirely different game i also will give a one star to matt lafleur's time management matt lafleur should have called a timeout after the Taysom hill run didn't go in like matt lafleur should have called a timeout right there and then to make sure they had an optimal time to move the ball down the field because of that they settled for three instead of getting seven and you think about what again the ramifications there if you're able to get seven because you have more time on the clock, 17-7 heading into the locker room. Packers get another touchdown. Now, granted, again, they had a red zone turnover, so that's for naught. But if they get another touchdown, it's 17-14. It's, I mean, that game's up for grabs then. Who knows what happens? But unfortunately, it looked like the lack of preparation for the Packers came back to bite them again. Also, a one-star goes out to Carl Sheffers, that asshole. The roughing the passer call on Zadarius Smith was arguably one of the worst fucking calls I have ever seen in my life. I'm not kidding you when I don't understand what we're doing here. These refs always do this. In the start of the year, they go on power trips, they throw a ton of flags. Then the league's like, hey, dial it back on the flags. We don't want you guys to be the discussion. And then it sort of evens itself out. I swear to God, it happens every year and I don't understand it. But there really does need to be a discussion on should we review penalties where there's a turnover that happens. So if a turnover occurs and there is a penalty on the team who forced the turnover, shouldn't at least we review that penalty? Because that is a monumental play in this game. Now, again... Do we expect the Packers to do something magical? Probably not. They just didn't have it today. Unfortunately, that happens in sports. But at least give us the chance. And they didn't. And so that sucked. And then the, the, the Saints go and score. It's 31-3. to Instead of the Packers having an opportunity to at least get one last gasp. And they didn't, they didn't get that opportunity. That sucks. That, that's just an awful play. It will go extremely under the radar because it was a 38-3 blowout, but it should not be forgotten. No one should forget how bad of a fucking call that was from Carl Chaffers. Also, one star, Dom Caper jokes. Guys, 
lot of media guys were making Dom Caper jokes. Dom Capers has not been the defensive coordinator for three or four fucking years. It's time to find a new slant. We can't keep making Dom Caper jokes. We just can't. Like I saw Dan Needles do it. I saw uh, Dan O'Donnell do it. I saw a couple other people like, shut up. Like it, it's over. We can't keep making Dom Caper jokes. Those are those are dead and buried. We have to retire Dom Caper jokes. It is, it's over. And also Ross Tucker, speaking of media, Ross Tucker's like, everybody complained about Mike Benton to hire Joe Barry. Nobody wanted Joe Barry, my guy. Nobody was saying, hey, let's go hire Joe Barry. No, we just retired what Patton was doing and wanted to improve defense. Jury's out if we have it, probably not, but who knows? So none of us wanted Joe Barry. Everyone's like slamming on the table like, hire Joe Barry. Yeah, that's the guy we want. Seriously, some of these guys, I can't believe they get fucking paid for their takes. It's unbelievable. All right, I think that wraps up star ratings. If you have any others you want to add to the list, feel free. Um, we can we can chat it out. We can talk about them. But yeah, those are the star ratings for now. Aaron Jones, five runs for nine yards. Whew. After clowning on Mike McCarthy for not running the football, Aaron Jones had five carries. Uh, that so that's good. Glad we glad we all got our jokes on Mike McCarthy, guys, because uh, we did the same fucking thing. All right, I'm done talking about the Packers. We'll talk a lot more about the Packers. As the week goes on, uh, Mitch and I, I think Mitch and I are going to try to do podcasts on Wednesday. I was thinking about that I want to having a keg to be on in, in, a day and at least to start before the Brewers get their postseason going and things will change. I think we're going to try to do every every Wednesday. That's going to kind of be my goal. So we'll tape on Tuesday night. It'll go up for the people on Wednesday um, and that's kind of the, the way forward, I think, with Mitch and I. But we'll see. Stay tuned. I got to at least check in with the big guy to see if that works for his schedule. Let's talk about happier things, all right, shall we? So the Milwaukee Brewers had just an awesome weekend. For as bad as the Packers were on Saturday, Sunday, the Brewers were awesome on Sunday. They put up 11 runs. They scored more, more runs than the Packers did points on Sunday. And that was the theme of the weekend for the Brewers. They put up 10 on the Indians on Friday night. Then they no-hit the Indians on Saturday. It was just an awesome weekend. I think the Brewers own the city of Cleveland now. Um, there's no real if ands, or buts about it. It was an absolute throttling. Only the Blue Jays looked better maybe this weekend than the Brewers. And I don't even know if I'd count that because the Blue Jays gave up a ton of runs this weekend. Their just offense is an absolute wagon right now. They put up 22 runs yesterday. Um, but regardless, the Brewers, man, it's been an incredible run. It just speaks to what, how good this team has been and that they just continue to kind of outperform themselves, right? It's not it, every weekend or every series, it seems to be something different. And after sort of a little bit of a malaise, I guess you could say, after the, you know, fil- they came back with that dramatic Grand Slam win then they lose to the Phillies, and you're like, ah, they've kind of looked a little shaky. You know, they've lost three of their last four. After that, it's been all gravy. You know, the Brewers win the next two against Philadelphia. Then they sweep the Indians, so they've won five straight. They face a Tigers team on Tuesday who 
doesn't give up. Like they they are fighters. Like they're they they're not the best in terms of pitching, but they're going to at least take you to the mat. So this will not be an easy two game set with the with the Tigers. It was a great great weekend to be a, a fan of the Brewers. The no hitter streak being over is just awesome. Um, it speaks to just the specialness of this year for the city of Milwaukee. Brewers have been lacking a no hitter since 1986. We've heard. So much about Juan Nieves and Bill Schroeder tells he caught Juan that day and the stories, the catch from Robin Yount, uh, Lorenzo Cain kind of matching it himself. Would have loved Corbin Burns to go all nine innings, but unfortunately he got to 115. It was a career high in pitches. I'm not blowing out Corbin Burns' shoulder or arm to finish off a no-hitter. Brewers have much bigger things to worry about. They have much bigger fish to fry. And one game is not going to win a World Series. Cornburn p- pitching a full nine-inning no-hitter is not winning them a World Series in late October. So bringing in Josh Hader was just fine for me. I think it was just fine for Corbin Burns. You could see the elation in his face after the game, his pictures with Hader. I don't think Corbin Burns has any sort of ill will towards the green, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, almost the Packers there, uh, that they, they put him on ice after the eighth inning. Corbin Burns, absolutely magical in that, in that game. Um, he's been that way all year, but I feel like this is the crowning achievement to why you should be Cy Young. He made a lot of moves in terms of the rankings for top pitcher in the National League. I feel like Scherzer and, Bau- and Bueller have kind of now flipped and now Scherzer kind of looks like the top contender to Corbin Burns. And there could be a lot of people who want, kind of want to give it to Scherzer as maybe a lifetime achievement award. Now he's won Cy Young's before, don't get me wrong. But Scherzer's kind of putting on a CC Sabathia-like turn here where he's been absolutely dominant for the Dodgers. And he looks like a scary, scary guy to face come postseason time because he is as dialed in as I've seen Max Scherzer in the last few years. It's been really incredible to watch. He's been really fun. He was great again tonight, today against the Padres, uh, getting his 3,000 strikeout, a 19th guy to do that in Major League Baseball. So I think it's Burns and Scherzer, but Burns deserves to be the Cy Young. I think this is the final nail, hopefully for a lot of people. And I think getting something like a no-hitter no matter the opponent is going to catch eyes of the national media. It certainly did. I mean, it was a like glaring red on FS1 that Burns pitched a no-hitter uh, with the Badgers going. So like everybody took note of it. It was not something that went under the radar. So I hope that this is what pushes Burns over the top in the Cy Young. And also too, the Brewers offense has been a wagon recently. You know, 10 runs on Friday, 11 on on Sunday. They're looking great, and that's that's really that's really encouraging moving forward. That everybody seems to be kind of clicking and hitting it at the right step. And at some point, you're going to put this team on ice because they'll clinch the division, and you'll say, "All right, we're cool. We have the second spot. They have a large lead over the Braves for that second seed. They're not going to have to worry about it, and they'll put everybody sort of on ice." And I think I think it's coming, um, and that's okay. And I'm okay with that. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot on this podcast. But I think making sure everybody stays healthy, especially in the pitching staff, is imperative. And the fact that a lot of these guys have not pitched this many innings in their career, I think it's even more important than the hitter, the pitchers, than the hitters to keep them on ice, getting ready for October. 
They have a day off tomorrow um, and then Detroit on Tuesday. So cannot wait for that series and cannot wait for the postseason. It's going to be something special. All right, let's talk about the Badgers really quick and then we'll ride out of here. Oh, I do want to talk about the Big Ten as well. So maybe a little longer. Badgers bounce back. Um, Eastern Michigan, not a great team. Uh, the Badgers ran it down their throats. They played really well. Um, they had over 500 yards of total offense. They had 352 yards on the ground. Chesma Lucy, 144 yards and 20 carries. Uh, Jalen Berger also had 15 carries for 62 yards. So much more balanced attack from the Badgers. Isaac Guerrero, or Guerrero, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, so I need need IT on that. He broke an 82-yard run in this one, um, and the Badgers were off and running. They were up 24 to nothing. They virtually shut down the Eastern Michigan offense. They had three first downs total. The only reason Eastern Michigan got a touchdown was a pick six by Chase Wolf as the Badgers were driving, uh, which is it's just shitty luck for Chase Wolf. And it is, I mean, it is what it is. It's, you know, whatever. It goes to Eastern Michigan, but a truly impressive bounce back for the Badgers. Uh, kind of a get right spot. We thought it would be a get right spot. And we talked about it on Friday. I said I was a little just not nervous, but I, I just didn't know what we were going to get out of this offense. And it it's clear that the Badgers might not have been as bad as they were in week one and maybe it speaks to why some were very critical of having conference games in week one that it doesn't really show the true colors of a team and that badgers probably weren't as bad as they were week one i mean look also at penn state penn state blew the doors off ball state now ball state's not a slouch team and you think about the game itself it was sandwiched between Penn State playing Wisconsin last week and playing Auburn next week in a huge game. College game day is going to be there. Penn State answered in a big way. They blew out Ball State early on and then just held on it in the second half. That, to me, was a big statement by Penn State. And again, I think it speaks to both of these teams were probably doing more feeling out than, than actually playing last week. And so the Badgers weren't as bad as they were in week one, nor was Penn State. And I think by the end of the year, we're going to look back at that game and say, ah, that was, that's kind of a weird game. And maybe it'll speak to why we shouldn't do week one, week one conference games when you look at these teams at the end of the season. Because I do think they'll be both part of the upper echelon of the Big Ten. And the Badger defense was really strong. Uh, no, no real standouts to me. I mean, they just were relentless. They had two sacks. They had six tackles for losses. They had three pass deflections. They they were just all over the place. They had a nice interception by Deontay Burton. So I, I just loved what I saw from Wisconsin on Saturday. I didn't get a chance to watch a ton of the game. I actually DVR'd, watched it in the morning as I was getting ready for NFL NFL Sunday and came away pretty impressed with what I saw from the Badgers. And they now have two weeks to prepare for Notre Dame. And I think they are in a good spot for Notre Dame. I really do. Um, I, I feel pretty confident about that for the Badgers. I'll be curious to see what the line looks like. I would imagine it'll be Notre Dame by four or five. But you look at this Notre Dame team and they barely beat Florida State. Florida State then goes on and loses to Jacksonville State in an absolute stunner and one of the worst losses of Florida State's school history. I mean, it is an absolute tire fire right now in Tallahassee. The only place that's maybe in worse 
sort of feels is Florida State. Like I envy, or I don't envy, I don't feel good for anyone who is a Packer Seminole fan. I think that that'd probably be the worst sports fan of the weekend, right? That's how you are down bad. If you're a Packer and a Seminole fan, probably if you are that combination, you might've went to the game in Jacksonville. Oh, that has to be terrible. Like that has to just be down, down bad. But so that, so that with Notre Dame. So getting back to Notre Dame. And Notre Dame then barely beats Toledo. They got some help from the referees. Jack Cohen dislocates his finger. Who knows? I'm sure he'll be fine for next week against Purdue. They have a game against Purdue. Wisconsin, week off, get to rest. Purdue, they haven't played anyone. They beat UConn over the weekend. And I think they beat some sister of the poor team in week one. Oh, no, they beat Oregon State. That was a pretty impressive one. I'll take that back. They played Oregon State. That Oregon State's a good team. They looked good. Purdue's going to challenge them. And it's, it's not going to be easy sledding for Notre Dame. And I think what I've learned for two weeks is, okay, if Notre Dame barely held on against Florida State, how good is Notre Dame? And they struggled to stop the run. And the Badgers ha- have figured out how to run the football and the combination of Berger and Malusi. Who knows why Berger didn't play week one? I didn't see that if that was a suspension without actually being a suspension. But it's clear that if the Badgers are throwing out their three-headed monster, they can be really special. And I think they're starting to figure out how they balance the snaps between the guys and also work Graham Mertz in. Like we didn't talk at all about Graham Mertz, but Graham Mertz was good. I mean, he was 14 to 17, 141. All you really can ask for, right, from Mertz, he was just doing his job as the as the team was pounding it down Eastern Michigan's throat. I think they're set up well for Notre Dame in two weeks. I, I think it's a really big game for Paul Christ. It's going to also matter for the Badgers whether they want to contend for not only the Big Ten, but maybe a playoff spot. It's looking a little more open, I think, than it's been in years past. With the Ohio State loss, with Texas A&M kind of getting by the skin of their teeth, I, I don't think this is a top of the top tier teams are going to win it all. Like I... Yeah, Alabama looked really good, but we've already seen Clemson fall. Now we've seen Ohio State fall. Like, who's next, right? It feels, it kind of feels that way. It kind of feels like nobody's safe. Now, this is two weeks, so maybe I'm overreacting, but there's going to be opportunities for the Badgers because if the Badgers go on and they beat Notre Dame, then the next week they play a really talented Michigan team where there's going to be a lot of conversation this week is Michigan back, which we do every year with Michigan, Texas. USC, Florida State, these teams who were good in yesteryear, if they have a good start, it's like, are they back? Are they back? Well, Michigan might be. And Michigan's had two really good games thus far. Their defense kind of looks fixed. And so if Wisconsin can come through, not only beat Notre Dame, but then beat Michigan, they're going to be set up kind of great. And then they have Iowa later in the month, who Iowa looks fantastic. There could be a real chance for the Badgers to play their way back in and make Penn State kind of look like an afterthought. And hypothetically speaking, if you get Penn State at the end of the big at the Big Ten Championship, maybe they beat Ohio State, I don't know, whatever, you have a chance to rectify that. So I'm and I'm not trying to overreact. You guys are probably listening to me and being like, did you replace bodies with your friend Doze? For those who know Doze, he's a big Badger homer. I didn't. I'm just saying, like. There's a real opportunity. And the Big Ten, it could be a down year. And I mentioned like at the open, like we all are the SEC because conference 
success matters. It does. Joe Klatt talked about it as Ohio State was losing to Oregon. Like the Pac-12 being able to say we've beat LSU and Ohio State in the first two weeks of the season and pushed Texas A&M to the wire. Like it, that, that's those are big deal things for the Pac-12. And for the Big Ten, they don't really have that signature win yet for the season. Maybe it's going to be Penn State next week against Auburn. And then maybe on top of that, it'll be Wisconsin beating Notre Dame. But that wasn't a good moment for the Big Ten. And we'll just have to see what happens. And I don't think the Big Ten will be shut out. I think the Big Ten, there's a, a lot of respect for the Big Ten. I don't think that some of the mid-tier teams, your Wisconsins, your Iowas, get the same respect as Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State do. But I still think they matter. And I, I, do, I don't think they're going to get screwed like a Cincinnati might. So we'll, we'll have to see. It's a long way to go. I can't believe I was like, oh, maybe the Badgers can play their way into the college football playoffs. That was a little bit too much. I look forward to uh, taking in all of the overreactions from Monday. I think we'll probably do a show basically reacting to the overreactions, and we'll see what all of them come. It should be a great day to talk sports tomorrow. I think every local radio show host is licking their chops. So we'll be back tomorrow with another podcast. Then on Wednesday, Mitch and I will get in. We'll start getting ready for Lions Week. We'll, I'm sure, talk a little bit about this week as well. All right, take care, guys. Have yourself a great Monday, and we'll be back tomorrow. Bye.